Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Houndcast. I'm Justin Dorensis, Assistant Director of Alumni and Parent Engagement. And unfortunately, Amanda is not able to join us for this episode. So I will be your sole host for this episode. Today, I am really excited to introduce a Greyhound, John Quinones, class of 1992. John, how are you today? I'm good, Justin. How are you? Great. Thanks so much for, for joining us, John. And I know for some of your fellow classmates and, and fellow Greyhounds, a part of the class of 92, I'm sure they're excited to, to hear from you today. And for some of our other alumni who are tuning in with us on this episode, John has a really incredible story through his career in human resources. And John, I appreciate you providing your insight and, and providing your story today with, with all of our alumni. Well, thanks a lot for inviting me on to the podcast. I've been really looking forward to it, looking forward to the conversation and sharing some experiences that I've had uh, since I graduated way back in 1992. Thanks, John. And opening us up for this episode, can you first start off by telling us a little bit about your Moravian story as a student? What made kind of Moravian that ideal choice for you out of all of the other institutions that I'm sure you were looking at? as a high school student and yeah. what you were kind of involved in on campus as a student. So I kind of have an interesting story about my journey to Moravian. It's sort of in two parts because when I was a senior in high school, I went with a friend of mine and we drove up to Moravian, which was only about an hour from where we live. I grew up in northern New Jersey, Mountain Lakes, and we decided that we would take the day off school and we had the permission to go visit colleges. So we decided we would go check out Moravian for the day. And I really remember it really just sort of standing out. We went in the fall where it's really beautiful at that time of the year, the leaves are turning and the campus is just really beautiful. And it just sort of always sort of stuck out, but I went to a really small high school and grew up in a relatively small town. And so of course, you know, your natural reaction is to go complete opposite. And so I thought, I'm going to go completely big. And I decided that I would go to Penn State. And so I actually went there as a freshman, spent two years at Penn State, enjoyed my time there, but I realized that it was, sort of, it was really sort of missing something. And I started to think about like where I would consider transferring to. And the more I thought about it, the more I sort of reflected back on that visit, which was turns out to be really influential on me to Moravian. And I remember thinking, boy, that place was really nice. The people were really friendly. Um, it was this sort of picturesque Pennsylvania campus. And I thought what's in the best interest for me is to kind of sort of get away from the sort of this big giant school where it's very impersonal and I gravitated back towards smaller schools. So Moravian was the only school that I applied to as a transfer student and was accepted and decided that that's where I wanted to spend the next two plus years of my college career. I just felt like it was just a really good fit for you know who I was at that time as a student and who I was and what I wanted, the opportunity to really kind of get to know my fellow classmates, professors, and to really sort of get involved with something that really appealed to me about Moravian. So I transferred and I honestly, I never looked back. It was the best decision that I ever made. That's great. I, I really appreciate kind of your insight. And I think that's one thing that has been synonymous with so many of our alumni guests and, and just even faculty and staff who have been on our Houndcast series is they speak to that level of personalization that Moravian has. And I think that's really important, especially for 
the development of a, a high school student kind of moving through their, their college years, you know, th those four years, you transform in so many different ways. And so the growth in those four years is really important. And to, and to be at Moravian, to be able to experience that personalized atmosphere where faculty are, are there at your, you know, every whim and, and yeah. really are, are there to support you and to support the things that you want to do, as well as the friendships that, that you make. Um, and that you form over those four years are, are really formidable in, in making you grow as a person. So yeah. I appreciate that insight. For me, I think it was taking a couple of years to sort of understand like what was important to me. And, you know, by the time I got to Moravian, I was really a different student and I was sort of a lot more focused on what I wanted to do with my career and how I approached my academics and what I wanted to be involved with. Uh, but for different kids, it takes different periods of time to kind of figure that out. And so I was just somebody who just took a little bit longer to kind of figure that out. Sure. But it was a really good fit um, long term. And what has life looked like since you left Moravian? You know, when you first graduated, did you start working right away? Did you go to grad school? I think more importantly, throughout all of your interesting transitions throughout the human resources field, throughout your career, can you speak to some of those transitions and, and kind of how that's led you to your role at the NFL today? Yeah, so, uh, you know, it's interesting because I think one thing that, you know, has been pretty consistent, and I talked a lot about sort of the appeal of sort of community and sort of a smaller school, I think, I think that feeling is something I've always sort of sought out in thinking about um, new employers and about, you know, new opportunities and where I have felt most comfortable because I've worked for some really large employers, 25,000 plus, and I've worked for organizations that are much smaller. You know, the NFL has 1,300 employees currently. But when I graduated, the job market was not very strong. And so it took me a little over a year to actually land a full-time job. So um, I spent some time, I, I was working though upon graduation and I was really looking for an entry-level opportunity in human resources. And that's really where I kind of focused all of my attention. I was fortunate because I had actually had an internship my senior year at Moravian. It was actually part of the requirement to graduate at that time. And so Professor Brill, who's still there, was very kind enough to sponsor me for an internship um, in human resources, which was really the thing that helped kickstart what I wanted to do long-term. As an undergraduate student at Moravian, my major was industrial organizational psychology. So I knew that that was something that I wanted to pursue. When I got my first job, I started off in the recruiting department and I just sort of knew right then and there that was something that I wanted to do for the rest of my career and really kind of focus in on all of the different facets of HR. So I started out, I worked for the New York Public Library. I started off in their recruiting department, eventually kind of worked my way to become manager of the, it's called staffing and employment, or staffing and labor relations at the time. And I managed a team of recruiters and spent four years there. It was just really interesting. And I just, I found it really enlightening and I found it really personally and professionally rewarding and I had good experiences. And then sort of recognizing that there were gaps to what I wanted to do long-term in my career, I decided to leave the New York Public Library and I went to work for the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. And at the Fed, I handled employee relations for three years. And so that was really interesting work. I worked really closely with our legal teams. I worked with outside counsel. I worked with managers on counseling employees, worked with employees on how to improve their job performance. We did a lot of disciplinary issues. And it was just really, really good training 
I mean, I thought a lot about going to law school at that point. I thought about potentially going into employment law. I decided ultimately against it because I actually had more of an interest in going on and pursuing, you know, a master's degree. So while I was at the Fed, I spent three years. Then they eventually asked me to move over and head up college recruiting. And so as the manager of college recruiting, I found that it sort of sparked another interest of mine, and that is actually mentoring and coaching college students. And it's something that I've always done throughout my career. And I I take that responsibility with me to this day. And I, I make time for people who are interested in learning more about my career choices, why I made choices that I did, you know, why I'm drawn to certain employers and, you know, giving them advice. And a lot of people come to me for advice on how to break into sports. And maybe some of them are intimidated, but the ones that I think are really interested in sort of learning about like what it takes and like learn, you know, tips and tricks that they reach out to me. And I'm usually very pretty open, like time permitting, you know, I can find 10, 15 minutes to kind of share some advice. I go back to campus. I've worked with the leadership team at Moravian College. I work closely with Amy Saul. and I'm always available to share some tips and tricks. And so I, I was at the Federal Reserve Bank for in total about eight years, managing their college recruiting function, decided that I wanted to leave and move into a corporate sector role for, for profit uh, organization. So I left the Federal Reserve Bank, which was all of my jobs have been great, but that was a great job too. I went to work for McGraw-Hill, um, which was much more different than anything that I had done previously. Um, and I headed up our talent acquisition function for a group called Information and Media Services, which included a lot of smaller uh, B2B businesses, but some of them are pretty well known. We own Business Week and J.D. Power and Associates and then some smaller entities. And we had television stations. So it was just really cool. It was really different. It was diverse. And um, I managed a global recruiting team, then became the director of Business Week. So I moved from a purely talent acquisition role into more of a business partner role, which was really just fascinating at the time. And I'm sure this seems like a lifetime ago, but 2006, Business Week was really trying to reinvent itself and thinking about like, how were they going to take a legacy product with a rich history, a print product, and how are they going to, you know, change it and how are they going to modernize it and how are we going to create this online presence? And so I'm sure all of that sounds really foreign and people are probably thinking, God, how old is this guy? You know? But it was really fascinating. It was really, really interesting to sort of see how you know, business leaders kind of think and how they set out and create kind of a strategic plan. How do you execute against that plan? And for the business partner who's with the leadership team, you know, lockstep every single step of the way, it was just fantastic training. So I did that for a couple of years. And then I was really fortunate and I saw this opportunity at Major League Baseball, which for me really kind of combined two interests. One is I'm passionate about what I do in human resources and talent acquisition, and I love baseball. I mean, it is my first love and I love the sport. I've been involved with it forever. And they wanted me to come in and create their talent acquisition center of excellence. So I was really fortunate to have been hired there. I spent eight amazing years at Major League Baseball. I worked and met with some amazing people. I had a really big impact on the direction of talent acquisition and recruiting at, at the league. I worked really closely with the clubs. And for me, it was sort of like this dream come to true opportunity. And then I was there for about eight years. And one day, you know, I met someone who would become my boss at the National Football League. 
Um, I was actually on a panel. I was representing baseball and I was talking a little bit about diversity recruiting and some of the work that we had done at MLB. He had approached me and asked me if I'd be interested in kind of sharing some thoughts on the new function that they were creating at the NFL. And I said, of course, that led to, you know, a number of conversations and ultimately the opportunity to head up town acquisition at the NFL, where I had responsibility for all three of our locations and setting our overall strategic direction, our our branding, overseeing all of our recruiting programs, manager training, our technology platforms, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And it's really all fallen to the talent acquisition team at the NFL. So it's been an amazing journey. It's really, again, I've never stopped learning. I never stopped reflecting back on my experience at Moravian. Along the way, I did decide to get my master's degree. I got it from Baruch College in New York. And I did that while I was working full-time at the Federal Reserve Bank. Because at that point, I think it's sufficient time. It sort of passed knowing that, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Because before you kind of make that investment, you want to make sure this is really what you want to do. And, you know, so I got my degree and I'm really proud of the things that I've accomplished. And honestly, it would not have been possible without my time at Moravian. It's so great to hear, John, and how you've had so many different opportunities throughout your career in human resources and from your your time in recruitment and kind of how you built yourself up into a a leadership role at the New York Public Library. And then from there, kind of just accelerated your path to to help grow companies and to help companies think about what is their strategic plan and and kind of how can I better the the direction of, you know, the strategic initiatives that all of all the companies that you've worked at have have gone through and, and have grown. So that's, it's a really great connection as to just your overall career throughout human resources. Speaking to your sort of role in in kind of leading some of these different departments that you've led throughout your years, and especially now throughout the last year at NFL, how has COVID really made that virtual recruitment and onboarding experience a challenge? I think for a lot of people and for some of our alumni who may be tuning in today, COVID gave them the opportunity to really reflect on their career and think, is this career something that I'm passionate about? Is this an opportunity for me to go back for that higher level degree? Or is this a time for me to make the transition in my career, especially for for some of our, our younger alumni? But overall, for those that are looking to kind of make that career change or for some of our graduates, part of the class of 2020 that may not be in their first professional opportunity yet, What are some suggestions that you have to help kind of guide them through this unique recruitment and and interviewing process? I would tell you that, you know, we at the NFL, we we were pretty prepared, I think, with how we would interview going forward. We actually utilize a video interview tool today. Um, and we have been, and I've actually been using a video tool, even going back to my days at MLB. And so when I came to the NFL, we brought the same tool over um, to the league. Just our volume is such that it's really the most efficient way to interview a lot of individuals, and especially when you have a lot of entry-level type of roles. And right. so for those people who may be unfamiliar with the tool, um, it allows us to pre-record questions for people to respond to, record their answers, and then they're evaluated by there is a person on the other end. So whether it's a recruiter or a hiring manager has an opportunity to evaluate his or her answers. 
So I think that we've been in a really good position because we have already been used to that. But I think for a lot of people, it's really new. And, and I think getting comfortable with it is probably the, one of the things that I would tell you is probably the most difficult for people, right? Because a lot of people, they're used to sort of sitting across from a desk and sitting across from somebody and engaging with them and you know having somebody provide body cues and reflecting on things that they say. So when it's pre-recorded, it's really a challenge. And I recognize that. But for Zoom, you know, when, when you're doing these things live, I think it just takes sort of a different level of preparation. And so, you know, you want to start to think about things like, you know, well, what does your, what does your background look like? What is the person wearing? And you really want to kind of be as focused as you possibly can. And so you want to make sure that you're doing a lot of the same things that I would tell you if you are actually coming in a person, right? Research the company, make sure that you know who you're speaking to understand sort of what their role is, be respectful of their time, making sure that you have a strong Wi-Fi connection, that it's relatively quiet and that you can speak to the interviewer, mostly distracted free, things happen. So, you know, you recognize that, right? Dogs dogs bark at uh, inopportune times and the doorbell rings and these things happen, but employers are understanding about these things and we're all living through really unique times now. I think there's tremendous opportunity though. And that's what I would probably tell people. Like you think about how before you were entering into a job search, right? And you chose a place to live and you said, I'm going to live in the New York metropolitan area. So it's basically, you're going to give yourself I don't know, a 40 mile radius of where you're gonna look for a job and you're pretty much limited to those employers. Now in New York, that's thousands of employers, right? But for another place where you may not have as many opportunities in front of you, I would say that the time that we're in today, it actually provides even more opportunity for you for a couple of reasons. One is, I think, you know, in this day and age, people are a lot more open to the idea of just this, this sort of virtual networking, right? Like they will spend 15 minutes with you. And so you have a lot more opportunity to reach out to employers, reach out to alumni. And I'm always encouraging people, like, take advantage of your school's alumni network, take advantage of Moravian alumni and email them and ask them for 15 minutes. People will give you the time and they're more likely to be able to provide that time today than I think at any other point. Other thing that I would really encourage people to think about is you're not limited by geography any longer. So you can look for a job on the West Coast and live on the East Coast. You can live anywhere you want because more and more employers are starting to think about what does the future of the workforce look like, right? So before all of this, it was five days a week, you commute to an office. Now, I think during this time, you know, employers are starting to say like, is that important? We've been operating now successfully for over a year. And are we able to continue to do that? You know, people are gonna desire more flexibility. The other thing I, I think that, you know, people have done through the past year, or at least I know myself and, you know, my colleagues and people who I talk with, gives you an opportunity for you to do an assessment about like, what is most important to you and how do you want to spend your time, right? So like, you know, work is obviously going to be a significant part of your day, right? I mean, you know, you're, you're still going to work eight to 10 hours a day and it's still going to be important and you're still going to want to work hard, but do you want to commute? I, I commute four hours a day to, you know, to and from New York. And is that something that I want to continue to do five days a week, getting on the subway? I just realized during all of this, there's a lot of lost productivity. Forget about personal time for a minute, but you know, it's just, just, you're not available. 
But I think, you know, you have to set boundaries. It's hard. It really is really difficult. But I, I think that employers really need to think about like, what is their workplace going to look like? And the other thing that I would probably say, which I think hasn't, we haven't focused in on, a, on enough is sort of culture. Like how do you maintain what makes your organization unique? I mean, a lot of people have asked me over the years, every place that I've worked, what's the culture like? And it's, it's really difficult sometimes, I think, to put your finger on it. I think it's even more difficult today. I don't know what culture looks like anymore. And I don't know what it's gonna look like moving forward if, if you have a team that's dispersed all over the United States or maybe all over the globe. I mean, how do you maintain culture? What does it mean? You have to work harder at it because you have to keep them engaged. Because otherwise, it's really, it's just a job. If it's, if it's nothing more than, hey, there's my coworker on the other side of this Zoom screen who I've never met or you know, I haven't spoken to sort of in person in six months or eight months, that is really, really difficult. So I think companies are going to have to start to think about what is culture post-COVID? How do you retain what makes your organization unique? And it's not necessarily about the employees that are currently working for you. It's about those that you're trying to attract. What are you saying to those people about what makes this organization unique? And I think you're going to have to look at it as a lot of people talk about cultural fit, right? I, I don't look at it necessarily about cultural fit. I look at it as cultural ad, right? So like, what can you bring to the organization and what is it about you as a candidate, you know, that's going to sort of contribute to this organization to make this the, the amazing culture that it is, it's still kind of hard to put your finger on it, but I think that that is one of the ways that, uh, one of the things that employers are going to have to really give more consideration to us as they live through sort of post-COVID. Yeah, that was a really fantastic and, and comprehensive answer, John. So I really appreciate all the, all the insight that, that you provided. And I, I think you're right. Workplace culture is so important. And I'm sure at the NFL, you have all had to, throughout your respective teams, have had to figure out a way of how do we still manage that level of productivity with our staff working from home, but also, like you said, understanding the nuances of setting boundaries and making sure that you do take the time that you need to take to, to do the things that are important to you. And I, I think that's something that for a lot of employees throughout this virtual time has been challenging. No longer are you shutting your laptop or logging off your computer at the end of the day and getting in your car and, and driving home and kind of having that, that time to detox and, and unwind for the day. Now your computer is at your disposal 24 seven. And, and so it is hard. It is hard to kind of separate those boundaries, but it is so important to do that, to do that for, for just your, your own, uh, your own sanity and, and your own, your own health. I think that's another thing that employers will have to think about too, right? So like if more employers are moving to sort of a remote workforce, even if it's a hybrid model, right? Um, you know, what are the asks of your employees, right? So like, what are you going to ask them to do? Like, are you going to have this expectation that, you know, when you send an email, there's an immediate response because people are home working. Can you set boundaries about, you know, I've heard and I've read about organizations that have no Zoom calls on Fridays. Like, to me, that sounds like amazing. I would love like a free day of no Zoom meetings. Like Absolutely. Right? Um, and I'm sure I'm not alone in that. But I think that those are sort of little things that you have to kind of really kind of think about. And, you know, as a leader, like you have to set that expectation, right? So I try not to email my staff at all hours because they're going to feel compelled to answer me. And 
There are times when certainly you do need an answer, of course, but then there are other times it can simply just wait until the morning. And I think that, you know, strong leaders, they set that tone about expectation. You know, my feeling is if you're working on the team, you're off the clock and it can wait till tomorrow, it can wait till tomorrow. If you're on vacation, you're on vacation. And I really try to encourage people to use their personal time as their own and they come back stronger, more refreshed and frankly, more committed. Absolutely. John, I think for a question that we ask all of our Houndcast episode participants, and this is definitely one that I enjoy hearing about, what do you miss most about being a part of the campus community every day as a hound? In essence, kind of what makes Moravian Moravian? What's that, what's that special sauce that, that Moravian has that keeps you engaged and, and keeps you wishing that you were, you know, on campus more often, or, or you could be on campus more often. Yeah. So my older son is now a sophomore in college. In fact, he's a Greyhound, but he's a Loyola Greyhound. Okay. Um, <laughs> so he, um, we went, my wife and I, we went through this process of, you know, looking at colleges. And the one thing that we said during every visit was, boy, we just miss being on college campuses. We just miss being college students. And what a time. I think that there's so much opportunity in front of students today. And so I think what I probably miss most about it, you know, besides just sort of the great life of getting up at 12 and going out and staying out till all hours. And I think what I probably miss most is I think just sort of the sense of community, right? Like you're in this sort of somewhat like protected bubble and you're surrounded by you know, the same age peers and, you know, you just have this opportunity to that you're there for sort of one shared purpose, to be part of the community, gain a degree, to sort of launch what you're going to do for the rest of your life. It's just, I miss that sense of community. And I, I, I go to Moravian quite often, in fact, because I've been involved with their leadership committee. I was really fortunate to serve two terms on that. And so it was really a great opportunity to stay involved with the campus. I might have been back to speak. And so I always just sort of look back fondly on my time there. I miss all of those things. I, I miss the hub and I miss where we used to live, which is now a fraternity house, but I lived at Burnside, um, which, okay. is on, which is on Iron Street, which was sort of like a frat house when I lived there, which was just <laughs> great. You look back on it and I'm still friends with guys I lived with and I'm still friends with I've, in fact, there's people in my town from Moravian and we just all like think back and we just think back and smile about our time there. And I had so many good memories and, you know, so many amazing experiences there. And I just, I did, I really loved my time. And that's the advice that we share with our kids as they start. And my younger one is a freshman in high school. So he hasn't quite started the college search, but you know, we just told our older one through the search, you got to go someplace where you're just going to feel part of the community. And, and interestingly enough, he actually transferred from the larger school to, you know, Loyola, where he is now. And, you know, he's just, he just feels like he's really kind of part of that community. And I, and I think that is something that is, is really important, you know, for people when they're thinking about where they want to spend four years of their college career. So true. Yeah. Thanks so much, John. And for, for all of our viewers that are tuning in today, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Houndcast. And please be sure to keep a lookout on your email when our next episode launches on Wednesday, May 5th. Thanks, everyone. Have a great rest of your day and hound them. <laughs>